Welcome, 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 welcome to the Modern Medicine Movement Podcast. Dr. Thomas Hemingway here. So pumped to be with you. Let's go. All right. So today, guys, we have an amazing guest for you. So excited to share this episode. We have Brian Sanders, who is just a great guy among all things. And he's on a great mission to really bring some health you know, truth to the world, because so many of us can get mixed messages out there in media. He's working on a movie. He's got an awesome podcast called the Peak Human Podcast. He's got a company, Nose to Tail. He's just up to a lot of good things. And so welcome, Brian. Hey, Dr. Thomas. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, what a freaking pleasure to have you on the show. It's just so nice to connect. And uh, we were talking offline a little bit about Hawaii, which is a home sort of place we both spent many years. So why don't you just take it off, uh, get started with a little bit about Brian Sanders. Who is Brian Sanders? Yeah, I grew up on Oahu, born and raised. Then I made it out to UCLA, got a mechanical engineering degree, which kind of got me to scientific foundation, I guess, for my future career, which I didn't know I was going to have, which is doing all this health information, diet and lifestyle, spreading the good word, making films, making podcasts, making food for people, all the things. So it started, uh, I think with my really just scientific career as, you know, like looking at the root cause of things and really diving into, you know, why, why did things happen? What, like, what are the root causes of problems? And I think the medical, the modern medical system, the, the sick care system, right? Like the mainstream system doesn't do that. Everyone knows that they're just, everyone listening knows that <laughs> they're just covering up symptoms, all that type of stuff. So I got really into the root cause approach and like how to live naturally and all that stuff. Yeah. But my personal story. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no. So yeah, I was going to go to my personal story started with my health problems and me following the standard American diet, not the standard American diet. I was eating the food pyramid. I was eating the good version. I was eating the whole grains and the lean chicken breast and the broccoli and doing all the right things, you know, and low fat. Like avoid, but I still, I was avoiding fast food. I wasn't eating the standard American diet, right? I wasn't doing the fast food. Of course, people around me, you know, were doing that and they got even sicker and more overweight than me even quicker. But I was on a slower pace, I'd say, because I was still working out a lot. And uh, I, I could kind of, like, kind of counteract that because I was also a bit younger. But uh, this was nine years ago. So that's when I turned 30. That's really around the time when this started. And I, had all these health problems. I had like heartburn and acid reflux and I had joint pain and I had arthritis type of things and or overuse symptoms. I had um, sort of just bad body composition. I had all kinds of stuff. And that all went away when I changed my diet. And I, I even my allergies went away. I, I grew up with allergies. So I just made some simple diet switches to just more whole foods, more animal foods. And, and that was it. And the bigger part of my story too is my parents is so around that same time, I lost both of them. And and this was at, at 30, you know, like, wow. I don't know, that is not normal, right? That you, you can lose both your parents to these chronic diseases. And they were doing the same thing. They were doing the good food pyramid, the quote, good food pyramid and the heart healthy, you know, Cheerios and like bagels for breakfast. And, the, you know, just the pasta with vegetables and doing the whole thing. We wow. It was a huge treat to go out to eat. Right. We did not go out to eat a lot. It was a huge treat to like once a month we got McDonald's, you know, we got like one little happy meal or something like we were, we were doing the, th the right things. And then they got cancer and Alzheimer's. And wow. so 
I, I thought, man, something's up. I made my personal health journey, you know, switch nine years ago, started down this path and I was, and I just wanted to tell the world. And then it wasn't until about five and a half years ago when I saw what the health, which is a vegan film, one of these propaganda films. <laughs> propaganda and it just said everything. <laughs> yeah. It just said the opposite of everything that I just learned. And all the people around me that were doing this were getting so healthy and fit. And so I just thought, man, I need to make my own film. Wow. No, oh, wow. That's, that's so amazing. And I, I, you know, what's funny is one of the, one of the health books I read back when it came out, which also, unfortunately, I, I think the guy was up to, you know, in his mind, a great mission. It's, um, it's that book called, um, how not to die. I forget the name of the guy. Hmm. He's, he's a medical yeah, doctor, yeah. but, but it was, I mean, I hate it when people write books with just one sort of purpose mission. They're trying to self-fulfill whatever they believe in. I just think it's annoying. This book was clearly a vegan movement, which I'm not opposed to if, you, if you're thriving. If you're thriving and that's you know making you tick and you're in the best health of your life, like who am I to say that that's not right for you? Mm -hmm. I really believe that everybody is individual and unique and that we all come from different places, whether it be culturally or geographically. And I really think a lot of that can play into what is the best sort of diet for us. I mean, the sad diet, like you said, the standard American diet is honestly not a good diet for anybody, right? You and I know it's full of garbage, lots of processed mm -hmm. grains, flowers, horrible seed oils that are every place you look and even in places where you didn't expect to see them. So there are some foundational things that I think apply to everybody, but I really believe the individual is unique. And what I, what I love what you said about your journey is that you just started kind of noticing around you people that you thought, including your own family, like we didn't eat bad. I mean, you were eating, you know, broccoli and pastas and not just, you know, taking the stuff out of the box and pouring it out onto your plate and just add water or whatever, you know, I mean, you were doing what you thought was the right thing mm -hmm. and following the food pyramid. And for me as a physician, that kind of got to me, I'm board certified and have been for 20 years, mostly in bigger environments, hospitals, ERs, things like that. And I started to see people die in their 30s, 40s, 50s of their first heart attack. And we could often resuscitate them um, if it, you know, if it was amenable to that, if we could shock them and, you know, they went off and got a cardiac cath where they opened the blood vessel up. But I'm thinking to myself, like, what is going on? These guys are younger than I am. I'm turning 50 next year and I'm watching guys have heart attacks in their 30s and 40s. I never saw that at the beginning of my career, which was 25 years ago when I got started. I didn't see people dying of heart attacks in their 40s. And I, I was just trying to put things together in my mind. And, and like you said, we as a country have horrible, horrible health care, if you will, because we don't have health care. Really, it's sick care. When you get sick, you go to the hospital, you go to your doctor, you get stuff done, you get a prescription. In the emergency setting where I worked most of my career, we can deliver excellent state-of-the-art emergency care. You know, if you fall and get a traumatic injury, you dislocate your shoulder, you have a big laceration. Like in Hawaii, I've treated several shark attacks and things like that. Like we can take care of that kind of thing fairly readily. But what I realized we weren't doing, and I say we meaning just Western medicine in general, is taking care of all of these chronic illnesses that are almost entirely preventable. Most people have no idea that literally seven out of 10 of the top causes of death worldwide are almost entirely preventable. You hit the nail on the head right there and you're like, I got to do something. I'm in my thirties now. Like I can't just eat whatever I want. I, I feel differently when I do. And, and that's kind of a funny moment. I, I remember something like that happening in my thirties too. I always thought I was invincible. I could eat garbage and just work out and I would be fine. 
And then I started to feel differently. So as you've been on this journey, like, how did you even, you know, get the idea that maybe ditching a lot of these um, so-called, you know, good foods, the plates of pasta and, and certain vegetables or whatever, how did you get the idea to, mm-hmm. that these might not be best and some of the animal-based things may be better? Like, where, where did that come up for you? I got to credit my friends that I grew up with in Hawaii, one of them who's now making a film with me, and I got to credit Mark Sisson, actually. Mark Sisson, to me, is a big mentor, a big uh, inspiration in my life, and he's in the film, and I got to play Ultimate Frisbee with him in Miami, and he is living it. This guy is 68 now. I guess it was he was 65, 66 when I played with him. He was outrunning these 20-year-olds. He was out there. He's a beast. Anyone who doesn't know of him, you should know of him. Look him up. He's the healthiest guy of all time. Uh, wow. Everyone should want to be like him. <laughs> uh, I love that. You know, what's so funny, my, my son the other day, and it's, it's kind of a blessing and a curse when you're so into health and wellness. It kind of, you know, the best and the worst of it, you know, gets seen by your kids. And it's, I got mm-hmm. six kids. It can be challenging, you know, trying to have healthy food that all of them will eat and all these things. But my, my mm-hmm. one son, he knows all about Mark Sisson. And he's like, hey, dad, he's like, dude, why would guys like listen to, and you know, this guy's a great dude, Stephen Gundry, for example, and, and look at him and go, I want to be like him. Like that guy doesn't look in shape at all. He doesn't look fit. He looks, you know, what, whatever, like, why wouldn't I want to be like Mark Sisson? Like Mark Sisson is freaking crushing it. You know, I mean, he's 70 and thereabouts and he's fit and he's freaking ripped, you know, I mean, and, and my kid's like, dude, you're on that track. Like that's what you are sharing and professing and that's what you're doing. And we got to get this word out there because we need to find the people that are living the way we want to live into our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and beyond and then do what they're doing. So I'm so pumped that you also got connected Mm. with Mark. What a cool guy. I mean, just up to great things. And he's such a rock in the air. I mean, he's Dude, he's living it. And just look at the guy. I mean, you know, the results aren't lying. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. That's awesome. And that's everyone in our film is is kind of like that. I mean, that's a big thing. I'm talking about this book, How Not to Die. I don't know if that's Michael Grieger yeah, or one of these the other one. guys. Yeah, 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 that's the one. Yeah, Michael Absolutely. Grieger looks like he died five years ago. Like he like he's just this he has this it looks like a skeleton with a pot belly. Like it's just the worst look you can you can have. I don't think any of these guys look healthy, but Dr. Neil Bernard, or there's all these other older vegans that are going crazy. They're actually losing their minds because they have no cholesterol and saturated fat in their diet and their brains are deteriorating. And so I just think, yeah, you gotta, you gotta look at who you're looking up to and all the people in the film, women, Dr. Jamie Seaman, Dr. Gabriel Lyon, just so strong and fit. We got Dr. Sean Baker. We got Dr. Paul Saldino. We got all these other people that are all living this lifestyle looking great super healthy setting good example so wow that's yeah i'm so pumped i know we talked about offline you know the movie is obviously not ready for release yet and it's such a ton of work and i just applaud you for for going after it because it's it's going to be epic and i can't wait to you know witness it and be a you know part of that in that way be able to see all this amazing stuff you put together but what an important message out there to actually Find the people that are crushing it, that are not only healthy, 
looking on the outside, but they are truly, I mean, what I love about Paul is he'll share his lab results with his, his, you know, podcast group. Mm -hmm. He's not afraid of, you know, he'll say, Hey, Joe Furman, like, let's compare notes here, man. He's another vegan. That's kind of like this and say, let's get all our labs drawn or let's do our abdominal CT mm -hmm. and look at our fat percentage in our intraperitoneal, which is sort of the fat that we don't want to have. That's sort of the fat on the inside, right? A lot of these guys are skinny on the outside, fat on the inside. And I think that's kind of the descriptor that you were sharing without mentioning it specifically where they may not be overweight, quote unquote, and their BMI is normal, mm -hmm. but their composition, I mean, we can see it. It's not what we want, right? We want, we want to look like Mark yeah. Sisson, right? <laughs> you don't want to look like ET. You don't want to look like ET oh. where, you, yeah. With, so now I'm super into this stuff. It's the visceral fat yeah. that, that matters. And we actually are just going over this part in the film where we tease this out that People are unhealthy on both ends of the spectrum. We're pushing back. We're pushing back against a fat acceptance movement because we're saying, "Hey, this is clear in the literature. If you are like overweight, you are not healthy. We cannot pretend this is healthy. We should not shame people. Of course, we're not shaming anyone, but we can't tell them it's healthy. But on the other end of the spectrum, and the data shows this as well. You can be thin looking and still have all the metabolic problems. It's in the literature. It's called either TOFI, T-O-F-I, or M-O-N-W, metabolically obese, normal weight, and T-O-F-I is thin on the outside, fat on the inside. This stuff is just well-researched, and it's all about visceral fat. And yeah, it, it, if you you can gain this fat around your organs. Yeah, the subcutaneous fat is like, you know, that's the is, stuff is that most of us bad. think of, and that doesn't matter as much. Yeah. It's stuff you can squish and pinch and whatever, but it's actually the internal fat, the visceral fat that's more important metabolically. So that it's so important to get that message out. Thanks for thanks for sharing that because there is that there's that dichotomy, right? We all sort of know that being obese is not good for us in so many ways. Like, mm -hmm. duh, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we weren't born yesterday. We know that that's not ideal. For yeah. our health, not not just metabolic health, but, you know, just the freaking wear and tear you put on your joints when you're carrying around an extra mm -hmm. 50 plus pounds. I mean, that's not normal, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if we go back a couple millennia, like there were no obese people back then, right? Because everybody got up in the morning, they freaking had to get out and hunt and and look and gather and they worked all day to find their food and they weren't, you know, there were no pantries, there were no, you know, none of this fast food mm -hmm. joints and all this kind of stuff. And so, I love that you also like to look back sort of ancestrally and how we were doing things back in the day, because I think that can provide a lot of insight to how we can get out of the conundrum, because um, we know that this didn't exist much, right? So even 100 years ago, our diet was quite different. You know, you mentioned as a kid, you were in, in, in your youth, you were on this low fat thing. So was I, because that's what we were told, right? That's what we were told. And maybe um, you know, as you've done all, you know, the research for your movie, maybe you can just share what have been your most, uh, I don't, I don't, you know, know if it's the surprising is the right word, but revealing sort of health truths that you've been able to look into along the way that maybe might surprise a few people, maybe even here in this space where people are health minded. Like what are those couple of things that, that have just been, Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Probably too yeah many, it's been a long journey. <laughs> No, no, it's been a long journey looking at all of this. And I try to look at all sides. And that's kind of one of my biggest lessons learned over the past six years making this film is to look at all sides. That I can't just go down and yes, we look at the past, right? And I, and I do appreciate all of our ancestors and all that stuff and what they did. That doesn't necessarily make it true. You got to check yourself, right? You always got to check yourself. So 
I'm always doing that. I'm always like, okay, well, how are people who are kind of plant-based? Like what, how are they kind of okay? Or you look at other populations, no populations are vegan, but you can look at a population that's like the Tokulawans or the Sukasente. And there's these people who still around today that eat super high starch diets and they eat like fish and they just have whatever foods they can gather, what's available to them. But it is a lot of, you know, starchy foods and, and not, not many animal foods, but there's, but they're eating whole foods, right. And they're not eating processed foods and they don't have the seed oils. And you know what I mean? It's like, you got to kind of check yourself. Okay. How does this make sense? How does this make sense? What about the Okinawans? People say they're a blue zone, you know, and they live long. What are they eating? The Dan Buettner book, the blue zones tries to attribute it all to their plant-based diet. And so that's all been debunked and you, you can look up online, you know, just blue zones debunked, stuff like that. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to go around the world. My sort of other people I know in the nutrition field are going around the world looking at what these people actually ate. And it, it is not just completely plant-based. What it is is whole food-based. Food. And they're actually eating a lot of animal foods. And the Okinawans, they regarded pork as a longevity food. So they're here getting a lot of fish. They're getting pork. And they're getting sweet potatoes and vegetables and whatever they, and some rice, whatever they, they actually didn't even have much rice back in the day. And they're eating whole foods. And of course they're healthy. And also the blue zones does accurately attribute a lot of it to all the other things they are out in nature. They're working, they have social connections. They have so many other things going for them that we don't have in our normal life. So I kind of went down some rabbit holes there, but one of the things that I learned was to look at all sides of things. And the movie has changed and it's actually changed into a six part series as well, because we have so much to say. So it's going to be, you know, six bite-sized episodes. Hopefully we can get on Netflix. And but the, the other thing that changed is just my views. So that's kind of this diatribe I'm going on is that <laughs> we, I had these preconceived notions that, okay, Mark Sisson's the man. I read his book, Primal Blueprint, nine years ago. It worked for me. So now everyone has to do this. And this is the way to go. And that's the, like, the, the high level thing is I've gone beyond that. I've checked myself. I've looked at all these other populations throughout history, whether it be a long time ago, native living ones, even, you know, vegetarian communities present day, how are they doing? Okay. Well, it actually turns out they're not doing that much better than, or they're doing the same as other people who are health minded. So it's, it's not that the vegetarian diet's good. It's the fact that they're intentional about their diet and they don't smoke as much. They don't drink as much and they exercise and they have all these other things. So, you know, there's so many different rabbit holes I've been down and trying to figure out the commonalities between what do all these healthy people do and what do they not do? And so that was a big change for me, a huge learning lesson. And to sum it up, it really is as simple as all the healthy people have all the other lifestyle factors, the community factors, all that stuff. And they all eat whole foods and they all include nutrient dense animal foods you know, something. It's like even people can, I think people can eat plant-based diet plus just oysters even. You know, if you just eat a, a little bit of beef liver maybe and a little bit of oysters once a week, you can get tons of animal nutrition, all the B12 and all this copper and selenium and you can get iodine, you can get all these B vitamins, iron, uh, good animal protein and be okay. So really, I think of it as like almost any diet can kind of be debunked. It's like, you can't just say that's the one way to do it because there's always going to be example of someone else doing the opposite and still thriving. Yeah. So you can't, 
the only way to look at it and not be able to just be debunked is to have a more holistic view of everything. And that is that you, you just need all the lifestyle factors. Like I said, you need a, a whole foods diet as much as possible and include the nutrient dense animal foods, whether it be a huge part of your diet, like say Paul Saladino <laughs> or myself, I'm, you know, kind of 80% animal foods or a small part of your diet, like maybe the Okinawans or the Sucasente or the Kitavans or the Simane. There's so many of these populations around the world. They do what they can. They're getting all the animal foods they can. And when they don't have animal foods, they're eating whole foods around them and they're fine. And then the, well, what I said is the commonalities of what they leave out as well, right? Yeah. So like I said, it's the highly processed foods, the seed oils, the added sugars, refined grains. And I think these three things are pretty simply the, the cause of most of the problems. Of course, there's, you know, other things, there's environmental toxins, there's, you know, you could go down all these different rabbit holes of the other problems, additives and foods and oh, glyphosate and, you know, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, yeah. all these things. But really, where are those found? Well, in those highly processed foods. So, uh, yeah, Weston Price. Yeah. I don't know if you talk about Weston yeah, Price yeah, much. Yeah, the dentist. Dude, I, I love Dennis. I actually got several in my family, and he's probably, you know, the most famous dentist that I know. But, but yeah, tell us... Uh, your take on him. Well, I just love to talk about him. We're doing a section on the film because it really tells a story. And this was a hundred years ago and all the stuff that he found out holds true. So like I said, you look to the past and then you verify and it all checks out. It all checks out. So he went around the world in a time when there was still some of these native population populations still living their actual ancestral diet and lifestyle. So he went to Africa, he went to Australia, he went to the, Micronesian islands, he went to the Swiss Alps and he basically found what I just said. He found that they all incorporated these animal foods and fat and nutrient dense foods, especially around pregnancy even. So these people were not connected at all. This was a hundred years ago. They like certainly were not talking to each other, you know, on Skype or something. They were <laughs> doing their thing and they found this independently, right? They just found that humans thrive when they eat these foods and these animal foods were sacred to them and they were, they were what they gave pregnant women. They even gave them to men before they wanted to get pregnant. They would even have special diets and they ate the list was, it was seafood. It was eggs. It was grass fed raw dairy. It was organ meats. It was, and other animal proteins, even from smaller animals like the goose or, you know, whatever they could have. So, what they all didn't have was the three ingredients, the seed oils, the refined grains and the sugar. Yeah. And as soon as these ingredients came into their town, so Price re revisited these populations 10 years later, you know, he was traveling around the world for at least a decade and he saw the rapid health decline when they started bartering, trading, you know, they got some, a trade route in and their health declined rapidly. He saw it between generations. He saw it with a brother and a, the older brother was eating the traditional foods. The younger brother started eating all these refined foods that were shipped in massive health problems. It, it was just very easy to see, very easy to see in their teeth. Dental health is kind of a window to your body's health. And he saw that all these people around the world, they didn't have dentists. They had amazing teeth. They had so few ca cavities. It was, you know, he, he would count them. He would count all these teeth, meticul meticulously count all this stuff. It was like, point five percent to like two percent something around there was the cavities back in he was from dayton ohio his dental practice 20 percent 30 percent 40 percent you know these are the 
it was drastically different. And these were the people who had all the chronic diseases as well. So he, uh, man, he even took back some of these foods from these cultures and tested them in the lab and whatever nutritional lab they had back in the day. And he found that there were up to 10 times more nutrients in these foods that were grown on the good soils and that were these, you know, properly grown animal and plant foods. Yeah, no, what, oh my gosh, so many important lessons uh, from Weston Price and many that have done similar types of things. But what I love that you shared there is that he did find all kinds of different, you know, food sources based upon where these people lived in the world. They didn't eat the exact same diet. So I'm with you 100%. Mm. Like there's no one diet for every human. Mm. Like some people say it's only this, it's only that. It's got to be carnivore. It's got to be vegan. It's got to be this. Mm-hmm. And like you got to keep asking the questions because like you said, you'll find people thriving on almost every diet out there other than, mm-hmm. you know, probably the standard American diet, which is just way <laughs> yeah. too full of garbage. All the processed stuff, like you said, the flowers, the grains, the freaking high fructose corn syrup and sugar and the seed oils like you leave those out and you Mm -hmm. eat real food like that's always my number one i always go with kind of i lead Mm -hmm. with this food first kind of mentality because no matter what we do and you and i noticed this in our 30s is you can't outrun the tip of your fork like you can exercise every day twice a day and if you're eating garbage like it'll catch up to you Mm -hmm. i promise you right well i forget that you probably have it on the tip of your tongue. I can't remember the guy's name that wrote the complete book of running and he dropped dead of a heart attack at like 50 or 60 or something. And, and the people that knew him would say, well, this guy, you know, he ate donuts, he ate this and he ate that. And he didn't have a great diet. Yeah. He ran every single day, but he wasn't doing it quite right with what he put in his mouth, you know? And so it takes all of the above, but real food is the starting point. And then, like you said, in the blue zones, I think the cool thing is that they all we're not doing a lot of the same things, right? They weren't eating processed food. And then they were adding movement. You know, they were adding culture and experience and connection, being connected to their communities. They slept well, right? Most of these guys are out in the, mm-hmm. in the woods where they're not exposed to blue light at all hours of the day and night like we are. I mean, they were doing all the other things right too. And one thing you mentioned at the end with Weston Price is that he found these food sources much more nutrient-dense than what we have today. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, that even in our fresh vegetables, fruits, whatever we're getting, the nutrients Mm -hmm. are not quite the same as they used to be. And that's, maybe you could speak to what you found with respect to why that's the case and what we can do to kind of augment that. Because we still want everybody to eat whole Mm -hmm. food, but but, uh, how how can we approach that and why is the nutrient uh, density so different than what he found? Well, yeah. Oh man, it's a long story. I've, <laughs> I've read a bunch of books on this too. And it, and it goes back to, you know, thousands of years, really, when we just started doing agriculture in general, our, okay, the, the big level is when we started doing agriculture about 12,000 years ago, the nutrient density of our diet went down because we started relying on grains, which aren't a good source of nutrients, a good source of calories. So we didn't die, yes. <laughs> which is a lot of the story of, of the human story, right? Over the, even dark ages, even like in the 1800s, people were calories to survive, but we also see their health suffer. We see how all time low in human height of how short we were. And we had all these problems because we had lack of nutrition. So that, that is a big story on moving away from animal foods. I, I, I don't want to say that you have to, you know, just rely all your nutrition on animal foods, but that when we, you go away from nutrient dense diet, and you add in a whole bunch of fillers like grains, your whole diet, your nutrient density goes down. 
Okay, then I'll just jump ahead to a couple hundred years ago. We got to the U.S., all these vast lands of, of rich soil. And what we do is we just exploit them, use, you know, use up all the nutrients in the soil, do intensive mass agriculture, monocropping, all this type of stuff. We take out all the nutrients. We try to put back in fake fossil fuel fertilizers, try to use all these pesticides, try to use all this stuff. It doesn't work. It, it's just, it's like what humans always do, right? They kind of come in and look for the short-term solution. Don't think long-term, sort of rape the land. And that's what happens. And you lose all the nutrients in the soil and they do tests on, I don't know, any, all kinds of nutrients. I'm thinking of magnesium specifically. Actually, I don't remember the statistic on it. Maybe you know it. It's just how much magnesium has been depleted in our foods just in the last, say, 50 years, right? It's gone down drastically. It's like 80% reduction. It's something crazy just because our soil health is so messed up. So the big story is we don't grow things for nutrients anymore. We grow things for speed, profit, and convenience and just basically how to make these large corporations the most money. <laughs> and uh, I mean, people listening probably understand that, yeah. but like, I don't know. Sometimes you have to check yourself too, that these companies, e- even if it's, it's called like a health food or they're a health company, they don't have your health in mind. It's basically, I think 99% of it is a marketing tool, right? Yeah. It's a marketing stick so they can make more money. They're like, oh, we're, it's like plant-based protein powder and like this is healthy, all that stuff. It, it's just bogus. It's just a marketing stunt. It's just like none of it. They, they have no, they have, there's nothing tying them to make you a healthy product. Like there's no way that they make more money if they give you a healthier product. It's actually the opposite. The healthier product costs more money. And to, so it's actually in direct opposition to what they want. And like they have no, and no one has any, they're not beholden to make the spoil healthier, right? It's like, no one's going to do that. It's all about extraction. You know, how, how, how fast can we make something? How, how productive can this land be in the short term? And so, I mean, this incentives are kind of just misaligned everywhere, right? So that just people trying to make money incentives are misaligned, but even though like the longer, like 50 year story of the soil health, almost no one has any incentives to actually grow things properly and fix the nature density, except the few people that are doing it. And that's kind of this regenerative agriculture scene that I'm in and we're covering in the film as well. The last part of the film is, okay, so animal foods are healthy, processed foods are bad. Okay, got that. (laughs) Now what? How do we do it? Right? And so that's, the, the the answer is regenerative ag and it's holistic management and there's great people doing it like Joel Salatin, Gabe Brown. Gabe Brown's doing this on giant 5,000 acre farms. He's using mixed farming methods. He's growing plants and animals together. He's using cover crops. He's using no-till systems. He's doing things like we used to. So there was, yes, maybe even just back, yeah, like 150 years ago, we didn't have as much of this industrial ag back then it like we did better methods like no till right we didn't need to so a lot of it was till though that's kind of the problem is that we would just till up the soil and it it rapidly kind of increases soil health and the nutrients but if you use these methods and mixing crops and you could rotate them and right and you can have animals come in and the animals are part of the process and they can 
use their manure and the soil gets and if people don't know about rotational grazing this is just one of these holistic management techniques that uses animals so if you picture a herd of cows or you can picture back in the day a herd of bison in the wild right they had they move around they were getting away from predators they would eat the grasses they co-evolved like these grasslands in the u.s why our soil is so great is because of these large ruminant animals like the bison and they were grazing on the grasses and stimulating growth and stimulating growth with their manure and then they would kind of you know follow these patterns of getting away from predators and come back and maybe it was a full year and they'd come back and now this grass was just grown up again and they they could eat it all over and it's just great harmonious cycle and everything was working great and so these holistic management techniques try to mimic that right so the opposite of holistic management is just monocrops right you just picture like a corn wheat corn or wheat field or soy field that's exactly opposite of how nature and works over and over and, <laughs> and yeah it's, it's insane so you, so i mean nature works with mixed systems and it has like a hundred different species of plants in an acre at least you know what i mean they're, they're all working together they're all providing different nutrients to the soil the they're all providing different nutrients to the animals these grazing animals kind of pick and choose and they get all the, these different nutrients and they know so amazing. I've done some great podcasts with guys like Dr. Fred Provenza. He studies the animal. He studies the animals and they, they work and they do cool tests, like really cool experiments to actually test like how they work and they can test the nutrient content. They can even purposely give like a sort of magnesium deficiency, for example, to a sheep and then have them, they see that they'll graze on things with high magnesium. That's an example. It, it's just so cool. And they'll kind of blind them or they'll, they have ways to make it a, a good scientific study. So, man. They have that intuitive I'm intelligence. Kinda, yeah. that's, no, that's so cool. And you, you spoke of magnesium, and uh, magnesium is one of my favorite minerals, not only because it's just freaking awesome, and we actually need it each and every day, billions of times a day, just to manufacture the en energy that we use called ATP. You can't even get that without magnesium. It's a cofactor in that process, and maybe 600 others or 300, depending on what sites you, you quote, but there's so many important functions of magnesium. And yes, it is way more depleted now, even in the last, uh, I looked that up while you were talking in the last 50 years is kind of what they're, you know, using, just like you said, that it's dropped just significantly, not just in the soil, but also obviously in the foods. And a lot of that happens not only in the growth of it in these uh, soils that are depleted, but also in the processing of the food, you lose a lot of the magnesium as well. And so we're, we're under the eight ball here. Most of us, at least in the U.S., I'll speak to, because that's what the population I'm more familiar with, you know, depending on what you're looking at, 80 to 90% of us are, are deficient to some degree in magnesium and the function of magnesium in our bodies. And we can't get it from the soil as easily as we used to from the crops because of most of the stuff that we go to the store to get are depleted. And, and one thing I love that you brought up with the regenerative ag is that there are people doing it now, thank goodness. And if we kind of jump on this movement to, you know, vote with our wallet, so to speak, and try to look for the fresh, real food that you're talking of over and over again from these kind of places or even our local farmer's market. Like here in Hawaii, it's great because 
Like if people are growing stuff, it's so rare for people to be using pesticides and stuff on their own crops. Like why would you want to spray Roundup on your own land? Like people just don't want to do that, right? For their own safety, for their kids, for the guy next door. It's when the wind's blowing, the trade winds are blowing every day. So it's, it's great to buy from wherever your local farmer's market is, fruits, vegetables, and meat because the meat, like, oh, I just love what you said. The animals are so critical in this cycle and you just scratched the surface there. I want to get into it just a little bit more, but the way that they give back to the soil and also what's super interesting, which you haven't spoken to yet, but when they eat nutrient-dense grasses, right? These are animals, like you said, the buffalo, the cow, the, those that graze, they're supposed to be eating the greens, right? They are grass-fed. They're supposed to be. You know, we've sort of adulterated that as humans because we're looking for that quick fix, right? We're feeding them grain. We're feeding them seed oil sprinkles, like whatever, like these, you know, and I, you know, my heart goes out to them. These farmers are just trying to keep, keep their heads above water, right? They're just trying to survive. I mean, it's not, not, uh, not easy, mm-hmm. right. To be a farmer. And so a lot of these guys are just putting whatever in the soil to fatten them up as quickly as possible, get them to market, you know, ultra fast. And it's, it's breaking a lot of the natural rules. But one of the cool things about the regenerative ag is that this is the cyclical nature, both plant and animal of how we've co-evolved, how we've gotten along over the ages and supported one another. And I think a lot of people leave that out because they either have this dogma that you can't eat animals or you can't eat this way. And it's just kind of, it's, it's too mm-hmm. extreme and we fail to look at the big cycle. And maybe we can just speak of one, one thing that people always like to bring up is this whole, you know, we like to care about carbon emissions, which I think we should care about, right? Our carbon footprint, mm-hmm. like what does that look like? And people always go straight to blaming, oh, well, if you eat meat, you're obviously increasing, you know, you're increasing the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. You're causing the greenhouse gas. You're causing global warming. It's your fault. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back it up a little bit. Like that stuff um, has some truth in factory farmed animals that are eating these garbage diets and everything. But maybe you can speak to what that looks like in a regenerative scenario. And maybe it's even beneficial. Maybe speak to that a little bit. Yeah, that whole message is completely hijacked by all the people, the big companies and industry that are causing all the problems, and they're blaming blaming it on the cows. It's super <laughs> obvious that it's complete bogus propaganda. It's like this huge smoke screen, right? It's a, they're a scapegoat. It's amazing. Easy it's an amazing tactic on their part. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. They're geniuses. I mean, I mean, they make a lot of money off this, and it and it's working. And like, I hate it, but it's honestly genius that they control this message from the highest level. They make so much money that they can spread this bogus message through all the media outlets around the world and blame it on the animals that are just doing their thing. It's wild. So I got to start at the top. Like, this is insane. This is like people know, you can, humans know instinctively what the problem is. You see a giant factory billowing, billowing out smoke. Do you think that's worse or do you think there's a cow? You see the cow hitting <laughs> the, the grass. Is making it worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, like the cow fart. Yeah, it's, it's actually burps. It's like, yeah. oh man, that, that cow burp. Do you think really, even if you saw like a hundred cows together, do you think that's going to be bad? Is that factory over there? No. What about all these cars driving around? What about the jets? What about the private jets that all these people are, are flying on? What about all these other things? So luckily people investigate this and debunk this. I like Dr. Frank Mitloner. He's a professor at UC Davis and he debunks a lot of this stuff. And basically animal agriculture is only responsible about four to 5% of this. 
So just imagine that 95% of the problem is all the other things, yet these big industry people that are, that are controlling the narrative are telling you that cows are the problem. It's completely wild. And the vegans have kind of gone up and, you know, and, and took, taken over this message and, t- you know, made films about it, like what the health and cowspiracy, and they're just propagating this nonsense. So if you get down to it, of course, we don't want to just put pollutants in the atmosphere. Of course, we don't want to just, you know, do something drastically different that has been going on on earth forever. Right. But we're not trying to do something that's drastically different. Like, like I said, bison, all these ruminant animals have always been here. Actually, there have been a lot more in the past. There have been way more animals. Actually, if you look back before 12,000 years ago, we had giant megafauna roaming the earth. We had gigantic woolly mammoths, mastodons, and giant sloths. Way more animals out there burping, right? Like, this is not the problem. This is certainly not the problem. This, that is part of a harmonious cycle. So there's kind of two main things about the emissions in general you can look at. And one of them is the difference between the natural cycle, the sort of above ground cycle that happens when a ruminant eats grasses. So CO2 is actually a good thing for plant growth, right? We actually have seen more plant life since the CO2 has been going up. I'm not saying that CO2 is not a problem, you know, that it's different. You got to kind of separate it out. It's like there's a difference between just burning coal and you know, CO2. Oh, sorry. I got to put my phone. Yeah. So this, this natural system has always been going on. And so the CO2 comes up from the, um, well, comes down the plant and then the, the cow, for example, would eat the plant and then maybe they would belch up some methane and that methane goes up into the atmosphere for about 10 years. It's actually a short cycle. It breaks down into CO2. And then it comes back down into the grasses again. This above ground harmonious cycle. It's fine. What's a, the opposite of that is this one-way street, which is fossil fuels deep in the earth, and then they're being burned, and then that's all going up into the atmosphere. You can see that. That is a one-way street. That's That is like electrical cycle. So people have to understand that. And then once you kind of understand that, you're like, oh, okay, I've been fooled. All this big industry messaging is fooling me because they're the ones actually causing the problems. And the poor cow is getting the blame. And then even, yeah, just there's a difference between a stock gas and a flow gas too. So it's just a little more of a nuance of the of stock gas is, is something like the CO2, these longer lasting ones that stick around for thousands of years and methane, which kind of, it's a flow gas, right? It kind of, it doesn't build up. It kind of comes in and comes out and it, and it goes through the cycle. So as long as we're not adding, say like a million cows a day to the, or per year, whatever, to the the land, there actually isn't any change. That makes sense. Like this, as long as we have a herd size that is consistent, then the amount of impact is always kind of the same. And actually, you know, because it's this short cycle and it's just 10 years and it goes up and comes down. So the the herd size actually in the United States and the world has actually gone down since around 1970. So that is not the problem, right? Yeah, maybe you can even add to that uh, with respect to how the cows are raised. How does that play into it as well? Just the whole cycle and, and the whole process of the regenerative. Oh, yeah. You got to split that out, too. So all cows spend the first about two thirds of their life on pasture. So even if they end up in a feedlot, 
They are spending the first two thirds of their life on a cow calf operation. This is just how it works. They're with their, you know, the cow calf. It's the mom and the offspring and they're on grass. Then to do it more efficiently, most of them, by far the majority go to a feedlot and they get fed all kinds of waste. Well, really waste products. It's not all bad because they actually use up waste products. They, they grow corn for ethanol and then they can feed them the byproducts of that. They can grow, use soy. Then you can use the soybeans to make soybean oil, which is no good. And then they'll give all the other stuff, the leftovers to the calves. So not great for so many ways. So, so many reasons, because they're just sitting on dirt. They're not, you know, having their natural diet. They're not roaming the land. They're all of their waste is just building up in like lagoons. It's totally wrong, but at least it's, you know, it's somewhat efficient and, and it's, it's feeding people. Right. So at least I think if, if you got some grocery store beef that was raised in a feedlot, if you're going to buy a box of mac and cheese, <laughs> I'd say put down the mac and cheese and get the grocery store beef because that's going to be better for you. Yeah. But the real, the real magic is when you get into the, the well-raised stuff, the regenerative stuff. So that's the difference you're talking about. And that difference actually does make an impact on the, the quality, uh, the, the nutrients in it. And there's a guy named Dr. Stefan von Vliet who have interviewed about this. And he talks about how all these, there's actually 70,000 secondary compounds that are in the meat that they can now use mass spectrometer to look at and we still don't even understand them, but he's like, all we know is there's way more of them when you raise the animal correctly. And of course, if it's eating like the hundred different species, I use an example, it's going to get way more nutrients and it's going to be, have proper nutrition. And then that's going to translate into the healthier meat. So not only is the meat healthier when you raise it correctly, also better omega three to omega six ratio, right? You don't want to have all those just eating a whole bunch of seed oils and refined grains and stuff for the cow itself, more omega six, which is bad. So grass fed more omega-3. Uh, also, it if you raise the cattle or any ruminant correctly, it would put carbon back in the soil. So just that process I was saying, when you're moving them around, you let them manage and graze properly, not overgraze, not undergraze, use their manure, all this stuff, it, it actually puts carbon back in the soil and people are doing it. Like there's a place called White Oak Pastures and they've done studies to show that it actually sequesters more carbon than it puts out the whole operation and it's better it what's great is it shows that it's better than the plant-based alternatives it, it the plant-based alternative you know the fake meat burgers all that stuff it's still polluting right where do you think we're getting this stuff there's it's just monocrops corn wheat and soy packaged up in a factory and tried to you know attempt to make it similar it's not it's not similar nutritionally it's not similar similar and environmentally it's worse the best thing you can do is raise ruminant animals especially you know bison cows um, and sheep and raise them well and that will sequester carbon and have a net benefit yeah and that, i think that message is really ignored maybe by a lot of the vegans out there and if you're vegan like i you know if you do it for religious reasons or whatever it may be like whatever works for you. I'm not opposed to that at all. But like those that propagate these fallacies about how eating meat is what's damaging our world, like as Brian has so eloquently stated over the last couple of minutes, like it's just BS. It's not, it's not true. It's simply not true. And the flip side, which is super cool, is if they're raised, you know, in the traditional manner, they're allowed to graze their whole lifespan and they're not 
thrown into the feedlot the last couple of months. Like it's actually not only carbon neutral, it's carbon negative. In other words, the soil, you know, it's, it sequesters or sequesters is a fancy word for kind of putting into, mm-hmm. um, the soil. So it actually, it's a negative carbon footprint if they're raised properly. So the messaging that's common and that's unfortunately continues to be propagated so easily out there is just false. And so I, I'm sure you have a great segment in the movie about that because it's just a message that we all need to hear. There's so many falsehoods out there. And I know we're getting probably close to the end of our time, but tell me maybe in the last few minutes, anything else from the movie that really kind of was eye-opening maybe to you along the discovery train when you were looking at it that you just love to share? Yeah, yeah. I started down that path telling some of that. And it, it kind of is about that holistic approach when I when I started looking at, oh, there's more ways. Like, we don't all have to eat like Mark Sisson. So th- I think that is the biggest message and, and why we're rewriting the film for uh, probably the fifth time is that, that there. It, I really do think the problems are just with these the seed oils, the, the refined grains. We call them deficient grains, right? These are just not the whole grains of the past. Like you could probably, you know, if you grow heritage grains, like maybe this is what they do in Europe. You know, people yeah. can eat more grains in Europe than they seem to. Okay. Heritage breed, non-GMO, not covered in glyphosate. <laughs> and then they properly, you know, mill them when they're fresh. They can soak them. They can ferment them into a sourdough then I'll, that's a whole different story. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what I learned is like, Oh, it really is just like the really deficient, like highly refined grain, the added sugar and the seed oils, but like those three things, but that, that what it, what it means is like, you can eat carbs. It's not like carbs are the enemy. Like some people, they have all these diet wars. They're like, Oh, okay. It's like plants are the enemy. The carnivores say plants are the enemy. Yeah. The vegans say meats the enemy. The keto and low carb people say the carbs are the enemy. I'm trying to stand back and say, no, you got it wrong. There's these three specific enemies that are very obvious. And this is what makes up 60% of people's diet, really. And and like 80% of the grocery store are those three ingredients in different packages. And so really, that, that I think that's my takeaway message. And the biggest thing I learned is carbs are not the enemy. It's like, like I was saying, there's populations eating sweet potatoes as the bulk of their diet because that's what they have. And they're fine. They're healthy. They, they're not dying of heart attack. So that, yeah, that, that was just kind of eye-opening to me. I think I went on a great journey going more low carb, you know, doing sort of Mark and primal like that. He, he's on his own journey too. I mean, yeah. he's changing his views too. He eats sourdough once in a I, I while. Did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I lost a lot of weight and then I realized I'm not going to just gain weight back if I just eat a sweet potato or eat some fruit. So yeah, so it's great to know that Man, if you just get rid of those three highly refined ingredients, and maybe the seed oils are the biggest problem, you can eat all kinds of delicious foods, and you don't have to be on a restricted diet. You don't have to count calories. You don't have to do any of that. I just eat animal foods. I eat seafood and eggs and meat. I eat red meat every single day, and I eat some sweet potatoes. I eat some fruit. I eat some herbs. I eat like pickles and avocado and onions and mushrooms and just simple foods that we've had for a couple hundred years and I'm doing amazing and, I, and I'm feeling great and people around me are doing it and they're feeling great. And I'm just glad that this kind of messaging is going to make it into the film so that we're really not stuck in any dietary camp. Yeah, no, I think that, I think the truth of all of that is, is profound and, and it's in its simplicity, right? It's, it's not hard. 
like Weston Price found. Eat real food. Avoid the processed stuff, the highly processed grains, flour, sugars, and the dang seed oils. And you've said that like 10 times, and I'm so grateful you did yeah. because we're not getting it right, as you said. I mean, in the U.S., our diet is nearly 60% of these, not just processed foods, the highly processed foods. And that, that's in a report that just came out two years ago. And so it may be even worse now. I hope not. But it's those simple, simple things we can avoid. And my approach to people is like, there's so much you can also add to your diet. You know, nobody likes to have stuff taken away, right? If you have kids, I, I got mm -hmm. six. And if you take crap away from kids, like they revolt, right? Nobody likes stuff to be mm -hmm. taken away. But if you give them healthy alternatives, like what are all the real foods that they could be eating? What are, you know, both plant mm -hmm. and animal? It, because everybody is different. I think we can all thrive on slightly different varieties. I mean, just like you mentioned, all these people throughout the world, they had different diets, yet they're all really, really healthy and some ate a ton of carbs, some did not. Like you go to the Inuit in Alaska and, the, mm -hmm. and up there and they don't eat like almost any carbs, you know? But it, mm -hmm. you know, it just depends on what's available to them and how their bodies have adapted. Everybody is unique, both genetically and of course, epigenetically. We get to decide that uniqueness, right? It's our choice. But the cool thing is that there's no one right way for everybody. We can all eat a variety of things as long as I really feel like you said, if we avoid those top three <laughs> We're going to be doing mm -hmm. amazing. And so thanks for sharing that message. I just really think it's so profound. I hope everybody will see the program, the series, The Food Lies, when it comes out, that mm -hmm. they'll also subscribe to your podcast, Peak Human. Um, and tell us uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you. Yeah, and also Nose and Tail. Nose and tail. I'm Nose trying to tail, do that yeah. regenerative ag stuff. I'm <laughs> trying to get that out to the world. So I say first thing you should try to do is get from your local ranchers. And if you can't, then we got you covered. And we have some other products. We we mix the organ meats in the, the ground beef. So a lot of people don't like eating the organ meats, but there's so much nutrition there. And so we have all the different um, animals. We, we, we put the organ meats in the ground beef or ground chicken or whatever, ground lamb. We, we have it all. And so that's a really great product that I eat a lot because I, I, I don't like to just I love that, deliver. man. Some if you just do the liver thing, it's hard to prepare that well, man. It's it's such a tenuous, you got to be like on operating on all cylinders to make that properly cook it just the right amount of time or it's hard to eat. My mom used to feed me liver as a kid and like, I think that started me out on the wrong foot with liver, man. It's just, it's hard to. <laughs> oh, it, it, yeah, it could be traumatizing if you kind of grow up. I was kind of traumatized with milk because my dad would force me to drink milk. And uh, I'm just like, I don't want milk right yeah. now. But uh, yeah, I'm coming back around. I love drinking raw milk. And uh, yeah, with liver, I don't think my palate is quite tuned in for it. But I, I like to just sneak it into my food. And we even do body care products, actually. We, we're making body care stuff out of beef tallow. And I got the guy that hand makes it. He goes around Regina branches and collects the fat. And so we have really clean body care products. You could order uh, a nose to tail, but yeah, connect with me at food lies. You can check out the intro, the intro to the food Lies series took us over a year to make. We handmade almost every single shot, super high quality. Like it is, we're going all out. Like we are going Netflix or HBO. Like we're going to the top tiers, trying to get into the, the, the best, you know, quality, streaming service we can and get it out to the most people we can and uh it might take <laughs> it might take another six months i it's, it's just a long journey but we're gonna get it out there and until then yeah you can follow me on food lies on instagram twitter facebook youtube 
Yeah, and nose to tail. Yeah, shout out to that. I, I'm actually looking forward to getting some of that ground beef because I do use a lot of grass-fed beef, especially with my kids. We make all different things with ground beef and things, and to have the liver incorporated into that, some of the organ meats, like what a, not, not a way to trick them per se, but to just get it in there because, you know, mm-hmm. their schnauzers are sharp and acute, and if it, something smells a little weird, they're not going to even want to try it, kind of like I was when I was a kid. So thanks for putting it in yeah. there in the in the ground beef. Wow, what a what a great way to do it. And and thanks again for being on the podcast. I mean, what a pleasure to have you here with us today, Brian. I look forward to connecting more in the future. If you're ever out back in Hawaii, I mean, we're, we should get out and go surf or something. It's, it's a, as you know, it's just such a beautiful place to be. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for taking the time to be on the show today. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I hope you guys found value here. Please feel free to subscribe and like and share and please write a review. In fact, right now, if you write a review on Apple and uh, take a screenshot before you click send, send that to me over on Instagram, Dr. Thomas Hemingway, the screenshot, and I will give you one week free in the Thrive community. I love, love, love to serve you guys. This is why I do this podcast. I have so much joy and pleasure doing so. And you're the reason. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't wait for our next show. We got so many amazing upcoming guests, including people like Dr. Axe. Oh my gosh, Evor Cummings. All kinds of great people coming on the show. Dr. Mindy, uh, Fasting MD, which is Dr. Amy Shaw. All kinds of great uh, guests coming on real soon. So can't wait to share those out for you. Um, Until next time, a big aloha.